Good morning. In reverence for the reading of God's word, if you're able, please stand as we read from Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9, and also from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Now hear the word of the Lord. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, cause the nations to quake before you. I'd expect you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure. O Lord, do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. And Jesus, speaking of his coming. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, 2020 has been exhausting, personally speaking, you know, through transitions through the disappointment of planned ministry and its loss, you know, it, feel, it feels tiring. 
You know, and I've been involved in, in pastors' groups where we are talking about this very thing and, and just the, the difficulty that's felt. Yeah, 20, 2020 has been like that, that bad family member whom you like more when they leave than when they're coming. You want to say to 2020, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Now listen, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that this year has been difficult. See, that's part of what it means to tell the truth. You know, this year, yeah, has its difficulties and, and acknowledging that it's been difficult is not a lack of faith. It's not a sin. It's not a show of weakness. It simply is. And furthermore, it isn't until you feel the shroud of, of darkness encroaching that you long for light. It isn't until you, you feel the smothering weight of oppression that you long for deliverance. It's not until you recognize that you're sinking down that you realize you need a savior. And yet for all of its difficulty, 2020 is a year that the Lord has given us. And it has presented us a perfect time to collectively drop to our knees and pray like the people of God in our reading here. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Because it's against the backdrop. It's against the backdrop of a difficult season here in our text. And, and verse 11 says this when it tells us, And all that we treasure lies in ruins. It's against the backdrop of a difficult season that the prayer for the Lord's coming is what the people of God should pray. And this is the first Sunday of Advent, and it begins with prayer. Advent is the time when we are reflecting on the coming of the Lord, how he came into the world the first time, and how we prepare for his second coming. And our scripture reading teaches us how to pray for the Lord's coming. Because in our text we see we can pray confidently, we can pray competently, we can pray, and we pray cautiously. Confidently, knowing that God is our Savior, yeah, we, we should pray with confidence. If God saves, we pray with confidence, knowing his power to save. Look at verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. See, this is God's power. He has the power to split in two. And that's the, what the word means, to rend, to split in two the heavens. So, you know, you can imagine, you know, those rescue scenes that you see on those FBI shows or NCIS or one of those, you know, where, where, where the, the good guy kicks down the door and breaks in, captures the bad guys, you know, and when they kick that door, the door just shatters. You know, I don't know if that ever happens in real life, but it looks good. <laughs> But this is God stepping into the abode where what was believed is where the gods resided. The nations believed. This is what, this is what the ancient folks believed, that the gods resided in the heavens. But this is God stepping into, tearing that open and coming down. He has the power to save all by himself. He's God alone. 
But secondly, his presence transforms. Confidently, we pray confidently, knowing his presence transforms. The mountains are, that are powerful and majestic, verse 2 says, they shake and, and his enemies are turned into quakers. The verse 2 says, and when the fire, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. And see, that's similar to what John the Baptist said about the coming of the Lord when he said in Luke 3, 5, every valley shall be filled in and every mountain and hill made low. God's power is to transform, his presence transforms. Jesus in Mark 13, 24 and 25 says this very thing too about the heavens being transformed. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. You see, the Lord's presence transforms mountains that are, that are stable, that are majestic, that cause you to be in awe when you see them. And, and the, the metaphor is that, so, that there are people who are leaders who are seen as mountains, but all of these are leveled because of the presence of the Lord. But then, then too, we pray confidently because we know of his previous acts of grace. The grace is seen in that the Lord has come down before. This is what verse 3 tells us. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains trembled before you. Now these are allusions to the Exodus, where the Hebrew slaves, they weren't expecting God. They weren't looking for God. They had been an impression for 400 years. And they weren't, so they weren't looking for God. They didn't expect that God would smite the Egyptians with all of those plagues. They didn't expect that God would drown Pharaoh's army in, in the Red Sea while they walked through on dry land. That, they didn't expect that. But God, in his previous acts of grace, came because this passage says he does this for those who wait for him. So these are allusions to the Exodus. And so his acts on behalf of those who wait, verse 4 says, and he also, he also helps those who remember his ways, verse 5 says. Those, these are acts of God's grace. His ways are, are previously known, because verse 4 says, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. See, there's no God like God, is what he's saying. There's no God like him. So, so what, the way they would have understood this, they would have read this, and uh, that other nations with, and other people who, who worshipped gods, you know, in their pantheon of gods, there was a god for, for peace, there was a god for war, there was a god for the water, there was a god for the air, there's a god, there's a god for prosperity, there's a god for, for health, all of, the, all of these different gods. And here in the text, it's reminding that God is one. He's not like this pantheon of God. God is one. And there's no God beside him. There's no God like him. It's not a, there's not a multiplicity. Not like the other nations. And they didn't have to bribe him. The faithfulness that the text indicates, the faithfulness that that text indicates, the faithfulness is, was seen in the way that you brought gifts to your God, to whatever the God it is that you're looking for, whatever you brought gifts to him, you know. And so, so this gift, whatever, if it's food or it's, or it's money or whatever, you, you brought that to that God in order to rouse him to act. But here the text tells us that's not the way God operates. 
God acts on behalf of his people because he loves them. He came down in previous act, a previous act of grace. It is the reason why we can pray for the Lord's second coming. Now, secondly, we pray confidently. So we pray confidently and we pray competently. We pray confidently because co- competence because we know that the Lord is coming to save his people and judge his enemies. And competence is, is having good information, isn't it? That's what, that's what helps competence. You, you need good information. So in the text here, we have good information with, as it regards repentance because we become aware of how sin renders us useless. Verses 5 through 7 says this, But when we continue to sin against them, God's ways, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. You see, too often, even as as a culture, we're unaware of the impact of sin. I mean, we, we... we give it other names, you know. We, you know we, we call them mistakes, or you know, and you find other things to blame. But you know, we 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 seek to minimize the impact of sin in our culture, in our lives. But sin here in the passage is described as habitually turning away from God's ways. That's what verse five says. But when we continued to sin, but what ways were they turning away from? Well, they were turning away from God's saving ways. They returned his grace. They turned away from the grace of God. Because this is what sin does. Sin is a seductress that seeks to seduce you away from the grace of God. See, in the picture, the picture that, that Isaiah uses here, you know, it's a vivid picture of what, of what sin's effect is. You know, it's, it's, since it's seducing you away from God, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Those that are used for a woman's menstrual cycle. That's, that's what he's referring to. And not only that, it saps you of your life so that it leaves you dead. Like a leaf that is shriveled up in the wind. And fall, you know, yeah, yeah, you've raked a lot of leaves this fall, haven't you? <laughs> like, like, a, like a shriveled, like a leaf, dead and wind-driven, swept away by sin's wind. No one, he said, none calls or pursues God. God's face is hidden from us, leaving our lives to waste away because of sin. This is the impact of sin on a life and in a culture. So if we are to pray for the Lord's return, we must pray competently with repentance, aware of how sin renders us useless. This is not a prayer for the new birth. You know, that has, that's already been given since God came down the first time. He's already saved. So it's, not that, so it's not that you are not saved, but it reminds us that sin seeks to master you. It seeks to master you. It will rob you of, of the joy of the salvation that God has given. It acts like a cataract clouding your, your vision of, of the beauty and the holiness of God. Minimizing this grace that he's given to conform you into the image of Christ. So pray competently. Pray with the realization that you have a father. 
competent. Good information. Good information. Verse 8 and 9 says, Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. See, there it is. Praying competently with the realization that you have a father. And we can pray this. <laughs> See, he did, God didn't make us to destroy us. Even though we sinned against him. You know the beauty of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? The beauty of that story is that, that the father welcomes the son who spent all of the father's living wastefully. Throwing it away. The father welcomes that son back. That's the beauty of the story. So do you see? Do you see? We, we base our prayer for the Lord to come is on the basis that we have a father who longs to welcome his people. And Jesus expresses it this way in Mark 13 when he says, At that time... Men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. See, God gathers his people. Hallelujah. He saves the, the Lord sovereignly protects whom he royally elects. Hallelujah. And they're gathered from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. The Lord, at his coming, will, he'll not miss a person, that he, is, he, is, he will not miss any one of his people. Second Thessalonians 1, uh, verse 6 through 10, summarizes it this way. It summarizes the coming of the Lord. It says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do, not, who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on that day, on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed this includes you because you believe our testimony to you hey you see here this is why we 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 can pray competently for the lord's coming because he comes to save his people and to judge his enemies and why we pray it's why we pray with repentance aware of how sin makes us useless and why we pray with the realization that we have a father who welcomes his people and with these things in mind, you know, there's a third posture that we hold in our hearts as we pray for the Lord's coming, and it's one of caution. So cautiously, since we do not know, since we do not know when the Lord will come down. So in this prayer, the people recall that there was a time when God did awesome things they didn't expect. Verse 3 says this, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Isn't that good news? God does awesome things that we don't expect. Isn't that what salvation is? Yeah. But the Lord's second coming is something that we are to expect. 
God does, here's an awesome thing that we are to expect. And we are told to watch for it. Mark verse 13, Mark chapter 13, verse 32 through 37. No one knows about the hour, that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. See, we're cautioned to stay awake, to watch. And Jesus is emphatic here. He's passionate about our being alert, our staying awake, expecting his return. And it is that very same passion for which we, that we should pray for his return. But how do you stay awake? Well, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of things that would lull our attention, you know, wars, political upheavals in, in various nations, including our own, disease that covers the globe. Do you realize that there's, I know it doesn't seem that way, but there's more, people die from other diseases rather, other than coronavirus. You know, those, those things can lull us. Persecution of, of fellow believers. All of this, that, that it, can, it can capture our attention away from Christ's coming. Riches. Riches can lull a person away because you begin to think, who, you know, if, why do I need him? What is it that I don't have? You're enjoying your kingdom experience now. But Jesus cautions us to watch. How do we watch? Well, the communion shows us, it shows us a way to watch because it tells us that he came down. And it tells us he's coming again. It instructs us to be obedient and have repentance with repentance and faith. As Paul, the Apostle Paul, would say this in, in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, when he tells us, when he said to the Corinthians, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, that's obedience, you proclaim the Lord's death. That's repentance. Since you can't hold on to sins knowing that they are the reason for Christ's death until he comes. See, that's faith. Since we don't see him yet, we will see him. So the communion shows us ways to watch. It shows us, and it shows us his saving ways. So is 2020 exhausting you? Come to the table of the Lord for nourishment and strength for the journey. Is the struggle against sin blowing you away like a dried leaf in the wind? Well, come to the table and find the Spirit's wind bringing repentance and the presence of the Lord to you afresh. Are you feeling like your passion for the Lord's return is, is waning? It's not in your thoughts. Come to the table of the, of the Lord and let the fire of his love ignite in you as you remember the Lord's death until he comes. Even so, come Lord Jesus.